Uh, those of you who were here last, we kind of know the beginning of her story. Ruth was uh, uh, from uh, uh, Moab. She was a, a Moabite. That's her name th throughout this. Uh, she was married to uh, one of the sons of Naomi. Naomi and Elimelech went to uh, Moab to look for food. Elimelech died. Uh, her, her children died, left leaving uh, Orpah and uh, Ruth as widows. And we have that great picture of loyalty at the end of chapter 1 when, when Ruth looked at her mother-in-law and says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And that really, that your God is my God is really a, a statement of, of faith and it's a, um, it's really the great promise of the Old Testament that God says again and again to the people of Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people. We see that kind of come to a, a cataclysmic end in Revelation 21, which we're working towards on Sunday morning. Uh, but here, uh, Ruth and Naomi, after uh, this great declaration, they came back to uh, Bethlehem. And there, uh, Naomi and, and, and is calling, call me Mara because my life is bitter. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Then we see right there at the end of chapter 1, it says that they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And what you're going to see here is even though they, had, they faced the bitterness of, of a hard life um, in Moab, God is going to show time and time again just a, a glimpse of favor. The first place of favor is the favor in the field. Look at verses 1 through 7. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And he said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the, the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is in the young, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather from the sheaves, from the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Right here in chapter 2, you see kind of a turn here, an introduction of a new uh, character in this drama. Uh, a, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Malimelech, Boaz. Right? It's a great picture of, of, of even the way Boaz is described as a, as a worthy man. Boaz, in this book, is kind of like the Christ figure in this book. He is the, the kinsman redeemer who is going to eventually redeem uh, Ruth's life. But you see the kind of character in which this man has. Uh, he allows, as is the custom in Israel, uh, for the poor to kind of come and glean and you know, take the wheat from the outside of the field. So, I was talking to a pastor recently, and he said that just talking about us caring for the poor and, 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 and caring, reaching out for the community, he says, I think it's the job of the church to care for the poor. Uh, and, I, you know, we have a lot of government programs that kind of help and, and care for those who, are, who need extra, extra assistance. Those are a wonderful blessing. Most countries don't have that. We have a wonderful blessing to have those uh, opportunities for the, the government to help come and help. But I think in many ways, the, the church has kind of advocated the responsibility to care for the poor. Even as we've been thinking through uh, the Sermon on the Mount on, 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 um, in many different ways, we looked at it this past Wednesday night, and it says, when you give to the poor, 
right? When you give, not if you give, but when. There's, a, there's an expectation of the people of God to care for the poor. Now, even in, in the, the issues of the disciples, and they, you know, the disciples were indignant at the Lord Jesus that, that there was that waste of that expensive perfume. How much this could be given to the poor? And he says, the poor will always be with you, right? Now, we often look at that as, well, give it to Jesus and who he was. He was the bridegroom, but Jesus was saying, but yeah, the poor is always going to be with you because you're always going to be able to take care of the poor. So one of the ways in ancient Israel, the way that they, they took care of the poor, is that they let the poor go and get food for themselves. They, they harvested the land, but they did not harvest everything. They left some uh, food on, 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 on the, uh, in the field, and the people, if they wanted to eat, what did they do? They went and got, and got the, and gleaned in the field like uh, Ruth is doing here. So right now, you see right there in verse 2, it says, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, uh, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. Now, Ruth knows of Boaz, knows he's a worthy man, doesn't know much about him. They're probably early on in, in her time in, in Bethlehem. Word is starting to spread about her character in terms of her, her being there. But she goes to the field and her expectation is that she's going to find favor because of the protection of a man from Elimelech's clan. So in verse 3, it's kind of interesting here in, in the Hebrew. It says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. There's the, the she happened to come. It's almost as if there was a, a providential stance for her entering into the section that belonged to Boaz. And she went somewhere else, but just happened to be here in uh, Boaz's field. And I, I draw that out because I think it's important for us to realize that God is is the, is the great architect behind our lives, right? We may not know exactly where we're going and who we're meeting and, and what, what we're going to be do, but God is the one who orchestrates all of that. So I uh, was a, a business major in college. I, I went to uh, the Wharton School of Business. It was At the time, it was the best business school in the country, and I was going to play football, so they, they kind of dangled this, hey, why don't you be a, uh, go into business? And that really wasn't my driving passion, but okay, you guys say it's a good thing. My, my, my dad uh, was in business. My, my brothers were pursuing business in college. I said, why not? Why don't I go do this? Well, I was miserable there, right? I was not meant for business. I really wanted to, to teach. So after two years, I decided to, to transfer my major to intellectual history. What? <laughs> so the, the study of thought over time, really kind of a weird major, kind of unique to the, to the university. Um, and why did I choose that major? It was just because I didn't want to be like everybody else. I didn't want to do American or world. I just wanted to do something unique. So I did that. But that simple choice has helped me profoundly, right? Uh, it's focusing on the 17th and 18th uh, century. And fast forward all these years ahead, now I'm working on my, on my PhD, and, and I'm thinking about writing about a guy named John Flavel, who was a Puritan in the 17th century. So all the backlog of research I did on intellectual history in college is now even bearing fruit in, in my future studies. I had no idea then right, that I just happened to choose intellectual history, that God would be using it 20 years later. Beloved, where, where God just happens to place you now, he's going to use in the future, right? Whatever job you're in, whatever uh, things that you're learning in school, uh, the, 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 the friends that you are, have surrounded you with, they just happen at that particular moment to prepare you for what God is going to do in your life next. God is the great architect. 
We see the story goes on, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said, the Lord, the Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you. That's a great way for your employer to greet you, isn't it? The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. It is a Christ-centered, or a, in, this, in this time, believe a, a Yahweh-centered um, uh, calling that Boaz has, has put upon his, his workers. And Boaz is there, and he looks at the person in charge and goes, Who is that woman? You notice what he says? He says, Whose young woman is this? Who does this woman belong to? Why, why is she here carrying it in this field? Now, it's interesting because as you kind of see kind of a thread kind of trace through this entire chapter is Ruth's protection from those who want to abuse her. Uh, if you, if you, I've been, this thought has been on my, on my mind a lot lately, thinking about the fall in Genesis chapter 3. So the fall of Genesis chapter 3, it says that the serpent uh, is going to be having a war, be an enmity with the woman and the offspring of the woman. So you see this serpent making war against, against women. And what do you see happening in our day? Is you see uh, a society that is, has made war against women. You know, you see abuse, sexual abuse is just everywhere in, in, our, in our culture. And it has always been that way. Because Satan and the evil one and, and the, the mindset of, of the flesh is about abuse and taking rather than serving and loving. So when, when Boaz asks that question, whose woman is this? She, he's, he's not just asking, who is she? Because she may be someone that I want to pursue a relationship with as the time goes on. That, that may be something in there. But I think in, more, more, in, in a more clear sense, because Boaz is a, is a worthy man, he's saying, whose woman is this? This is not safe for her to be to be here. We want to make sure that she's cared for and protected. So I think, men, if I could speak to you, right, if we want to be like Boaz, we want to be worthy men, and we want to protect women at all costs. So we want to protect them in, in making sure that if you're in a dark area, that you're walking them to their car, right? Uh, that they're not, you're not going to leave until, they, um, until they're safe, right? Um, it also means if we want to be worthy men that we want to fight against the lust of our own flesh. That you should not look at pornography. You probably should not watch any uh, television shows that have nudity in it, because that is that is that is part of a uh, part of the fruit of an epidemic of a culture that does not honor women that, that attempts to abuse them. Right? We want to be worthy men like Boaz. I think that's what this question is. And by God's grace, He He, he extends favor to. To Ruth, and partly, and it's amazing. We'll see that here in the next next section. But right there at the end, uh, when the the man, the servant, says she is a young Moabite woman, she came with Naomi from the country of Moab, and she just said, "Let me glean from your field. Let me just serve in your field." And it says that she's been working from from sun up to sundown. She's been working hard. So not only do we see Ruth's character as, as staying with Naomi and, and, and abandoning her, her false and foreign gods, but coming to serve the one true God, she's also a hard worker, right? She's not willing to roll up her sleeves and work hard. You know, I think that we are going to be, you know, if I could just kind of, we have to pray about this. I think that we are going to have a very hard awakening uh, as a culture in the next 20 years because young people often don't want to work hard. And what they're going to need to do as they get older is to care for their aging parents. And I'm not sure if they're ready to do that, right? 
Because we've kind of raised a culture that says we want to care for you, we want to serve you. And when their parents need to be cared for, the parents are still doing the caring when they're 70, 80, and 90 years old. Right? We need to have a generation of people who are willing to give back a return from their, to their parents, as we see in 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is just the character of Ruth, right? The character of a godly woman. So not only do we see favor in the field, we see favor for this foreigner. Look at verse 8. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. You know, I just love how his language is there, right? He doesn't say, uh, my servant, right? This woman is poor. Uh, she's not well respected by society. But what does Ruth say? He, to Boaz say to Ruth, now listen, my, my daughter. There's just a familial language that you, that you see in the scripture uh, of a father should treat a, a young, young woman. So can I just say this? Uh, men, older men especially, make sure the way we interact with the young women in our church are, is wholesome and like a daughter, right? We want to be very careful with our, with our hugs, be very careful with how we approach women, what we say. We want to do it in a, um, in, in a, in a, uh, a, as if they're our daughters, wholesome and pure, right? So I think that there's two dangers, right, kind of happening in, in the evangelical church. I think there is a, a disregard uh, of protecting and having that, those boundaries, right? You know, um, having boundaries when it comes to relationships with women, when to be seen and where, where to be in, in those situations. But I think there's also an opposite danger of uh, because Men are often so scared of, 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 not, of offending that we don't treat people, we don't treat women like sisters. We don't treat them like daughters. And I think both are, are dangerous, right? Uh, so the women in this church, uh, you're, you're, you're my sisters in Christ. Some of you are, are my mothers in Christ, and I love you dearly, right? I always want to communicate a, a, a sisterly relationship, right? Uh, so I, I, I want to care for you. So I want to have a relationship, and I want you to have a relationship with me. You know, someone here recently, just as a sisterly way, came and asked me how I was doing, right? And it was just, just out of love. And that really encouraged my heart. I think this is what Ruth, Ruth is experiencing from Boaz, right? He says, my daughter, don't, don't go glean me in another field, but stay with my young women. Why? Let your eyes be on the field that they have reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Right? So Boaz looks at his own young men and says, she shall not be touched. Well, aren't these all Israelites? Shouldn't they all do what is right? Remember, you're in the period of the judges, when every man did what was right in his own eyes. He's saying, protect this woman. Protect women in general. And when you are thirsty... Go to the vessels and drink what the young men had drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? She understood that she was a foreigner. She understood that she was a, an immigrant from another land. And what did Boaz, a worthy man, do? He extended her, her favor. He said, No, 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 we're going we're to care for you. We're going to provide for you. Stay here. We're going to give you protection, and we're going to let you glean from this, from this field. You know, I think that, you know, Christians and how we communicate, how we think about this issue of immigration, 
we're there's conversations that we can have up here in terms of the big picture type stuff, right, and following laws. But I think the heart of, of God is to care for the foreigner. It is to care for the, the outcast among us. So we, we want to be very careful how we interact with the popular uh, language of the day. But we want to have the heart of Boaz here who cared and showed favor to a, a foreigner. Now, if, I think that the, the, the implication is very clear here is a foreigner from another nation. Um, but we can extend that to a foreigner to any community. So if, if we have a, a tight-knit family here and we love each other here, what happens if someone who's not part of our family comes in? Are they going to be welcomed? You know, by God's grace, I, I've heard that time and time again about our congregation that we are the most welcoming church around. Praise God. Praise God that we, have, we are ready to, to open up our arms. But it shouldn't just be open up our arms uh, to include you in, in maybe on a Sunday morning, but are we bringing you into our homes? Are, you, are we saying, you know, you're, you're not a foreigner, you're one of us. You're one of, we want to care for you and love you in a very unique way. Boaz responds in verse 11, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before, the Lord repay for, for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz has just heard of the character of Ruth. Right? She, has, she is not just a typical foreigner. She is one who has done what is honorable and worthy. She has cared for Naomi. And Boaz knows that he can't fulfill the role of the Lord here. Because what did Ruth lose? She lost a husband. She lost the, the potential of a future, future children. You know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe at the, at the, at, in the background... Boaz is thinking possibly uh, of, of I'm your kingsman redeemer. We think that he's probably an older man. Um, we don't know. We don't exactly exactly know what he knew at this point. But what he did know is that it was the Lord's job to repay you for your labor. And isn't that exactly what we have saw, saw even on, on on Wednesday for the Sermon on the Mount? The Lord, who sees what you do in secret, will reward you. God, who sees your prayers in secret, will reward you. When the Father sees how you fast in secret, will reward you. We do not live for the applause of men. We live for the glory of our great Father, right? Who sees all that we do. And he, is, he wants to reward us. And we know that reward ultimately is in heaven, but I think that reward is even in this, this earthly life. And I love how it says that you have taken refuge, whose wings you have come to take refuge. There's just a, there's a tenderness there. That's where we, we know that we need to, 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 to have a shield of the Lord. Ruth not only left her land and came to a people that she did not know, but that she turned and rejected her foreign gods, and she, she embraced the Lord. If you look in the, in, the, in the Psalms especially, we kind of looked last fall, we looked a lot in the Psalms on Sunday evenings, this idea of taking refuge or seeking, seeking shelter from the Lord is all over the pages of the Psalms. So whatever you're dealing with today, whatever trial, whatever struggle, will you go to the Lord as, as a refuge? I mean, Moab, um, Ruth left Moab. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have food. And what is she doing? She's leaning into the Lord. Here's one of the greatest dangers in our lives when it comes to our relationship with God and His church is when things get difficult, we run away from the Lord. We embitter ourselves against Him. We have the attitude of Jonah, right? I knew you were going to do this. 
Listen, it is so easy to drift away. Maybe relationally someone has hurt you and it's very easy, easy to drift away. But when things happen in your life, God doesn't want you to pull away. God wants you to lean in to the church, lean in to the body, to seek refuge under his wings and let the Lord sustain you. So practically, how does Boaz show favor? He shows favor with food. Um, amen. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. That is a huge blessing. Right. I don't think that we fully understand how important uh, table fellowship is in, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. This Middle Eastern culture, eating with people is a huge deal. I remember when I went to Venezuela as a missionary and um, we were staying with a host family uh, on the grounds and we, uh, we wanted to do something nice for them. So we were, we were going to have a, a big dessert, right? We have a big dessert for them and, and uh, we had all this food, all this dessert and uh, they came and they weren't really like happy. They kind of had like a grimace on their face and like, what's going on? Well, we only found out that they looked at that as an offense. You, you, you want to invite us to dessert, but you don't want to invite us to dinner? Because the, the, the implication was is that we want to invite you to our meal. We want to welcome you in, and we didn't understand the cultural differences. We thought we were being a blessing, but we really were not. We, we created, a lot, created a lot of strife there. Well, this, this idea what Boaz is doing, he's saying to Ruth, come and eat. Come and eat at my table, right? Can I tell you, probably once a week, I hear about someone in our church having somebody else over for a meal. And it's usually people that they don't know, right? We just had, had, a, had a meal together. And that the relationship that, that, is, that is developing over a meal does absolute wonders. There's a great book by Tim Chester that says, Meals with Jesus. He says, when you can trace Jesus' ministry, uh, he's either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. Everything was about revolving around the table. I personally am okay with that style of ministry, right? Have, have meals together. This is exactly what Boaz is doing to Ruth. And when he's doing it, extending that hand, he's doing far more than just showing that you're a foreigner. No, you're welcome at the table. This is why we, we have the Lord's Supper, right? We were foreigners. We were alienated from the, the, the commonwealth of Israel. But God invited us to his table. So we get to come and, and break bread together and, and drink the fruit of the vine to show that we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another as we preview that great marriage supper of the Lamb when, when all people from all tribes, languages, and nations are going to gather around and feast with the Lord God himself. It's a great picture of salvation. We go on at the end of verse 14. It says, So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. And she rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. That would have been uh, stepping outside of the law at that point. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it uh, for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left and left over after being satisfied. I love how that satisfied is there twice, right? That they were, they were satisfied with the food that they got. You know, sometimes if you, if you've ever, um, Maybe some of you haven't, but 
I'm a big man, and I love food. And sometimes you eat at at, at a restaurant, and um, it's a very small portion, and you kind of eat it, and you're like, hmm, <laughs> I'm so hungry. I wish I'd have some more, right? Um, my kids are growing, and I got my kids a Happy Meal. Um, I got Olivia a Happy Meal, and she always eats all her. She ate all her food, and she just after she finished, she goes, "I'm not hungry. I'm still hungry." What are you gonna do, Dad? I'm still hungry. You're like, you had a whole kids meal, you know. But I guess she's 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 getting bigger. But I think when you what what Ruth is doing here is there's satisfaction. They had enough. Not only were they they just they had a little to, to pacify their hunger, but they were overwhelmingly satisfied. And that I think is just a sweet picture of the the fellowship that God brings us. Right? God gives us when God redeems us and God shows us favor, He gives us satisfaction. This is one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that God's wrath is satisfied in Christ. That means everything that, that could have, um, because of your sin, past, present, and future, everything that you owe has been paid for. It is satisfied. God is satisfied. And God is not just satisfied. He's overwhelmingly satisfied. He doesn't want to just replace us. You know, saying, okay, you know, you're guilty, you're, you're, you're not guilty anymore, you're now in. No, he wants to lavish us with his grace. That's exactly what Boaz is doing here. He is, he is lavishing Ruth with favor and grace, with food. I pray that we would always be a church that tries to show favor with food, right? I think that's, that's a New Testament model, to be hospitable. And I'm not saying that Daniel, Daniel's looking at me right now saying, he's fat shaming me with a look. He just did that. Anyway, favor for the forsaken, as we close, favor for the forsaken. Look at verse 19, how, how this ends. It says, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. You know, what did, what, what did Ruth say she was going to go? She said she was going to go to the field of Boaz, right? And it's kind of like, hey, hey, Ruth, where did you go today? Did you meet anybody? So she held her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, we don't know if this uh, kindness here is referring to Boaz or this kindness is referring to the Lord. It's kind of ambiguous there in, in the Hebrew. Uh, but either way, kindness was shown to those who really were forsaken, you know, the living or the dead. You know, we think about uh, Boaz showing kindness to Ruth. It was not Boaz just showing kindness to Ruth. It was Boaz showing kindness to Elimelech and to his clan, right? It was understanding the whole family dynamic there, you know. Uh, there, there, is, there is a way that we can honor both those who are living and those who are, who are dead. You know, we can't do much for those who are, who are dead now, but we can care for those who have, have family members who live on. I think mean, this is a, probably a great plea for us to care for widows. There's a lot of widows in our church, widows and widowers. You know, I heard today that, that Owen McKee is not doing well, right? And he's gotten to the point where he's unresponsive. Owen McKee is a dear, dear brother. Right, uh, and every time you talk to him, you just get, you, get a, you get a sense of what it means to be a Christian statesman, just a godly man, right? Well, how can we care for him? How can we care for uh, his sister as she goes through this trial? Naomi said, also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. 
and one of our redeemers. Uh, in that culture, what it means to be a redeemer is that if a, uh, a brother uh, or a, a husband died, then it was the opportunity of the brother or a relative to redeem the, the wife and, and, and remarry her. Um, that's why you see that question in the Gospels when it says that if this woman was married seven times, who was her husband in the resurrection? That was a very, very common part of, of the culture. It also, uh, if you just kind of have that idea, marriage primarily was not love. The primary motivation for marriage was not who makes me feel full and happy and light. It's, it's how can I honor God and how can I procreate, right? This is a different, different time, right? So I, I think you should probably love. Love is a, is a fine way to, per, per, to choose a, a, a spouse. Uh, but that is not the only thing that we decide when we choose a spouse. You can love someone that is wrong for you and you probably shouldn't marry them. Right? You should probably lay that love aside and, and, and do what is honorable in the sight of God and the sight of others. Verse 21. The, and then Ruth, the Moabite. Don't you just love how she keeps that title, right? She is a foreigner. She is this, this worthy person in, in the time of, of the judges when Israel was full of, of wickedness, doing everything was right in their own eyes, and this foreigner is, is the worthy one. The Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. I mean, what is Ruth saying there? He has promised me his protection. He's allowed me to continue to work in his fields, and so the satisfaction that we feel now will be a continual satisfaction until the harvest is over. And he's promised to, to care for me and protect me. Verse 22 And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter in law, It is good, my daughter that you go out with his young women, lest you be in, lest in another field you be assaulted. That's even in the mindset there. Listen, the, the, I just want to say it again. We want to fight against sexual abuse and assault everywhere we can, right? It is, it is rampant. There are, are many here um, who may not know of people, in this, uh, uh, people around you that have faced this. You know, the, the numbers of those who have faced sexual abuse and sexual assault is very high. I can't give you a specific statistic, but probably one in three and one of four. So every third or fourth person you, you see has experienced this. That doesn't mean that we should um, treat them any different, but we should be very careful with our, with our language, and we should be very full of love and grace, right? And we should raise young men who protect women, who care for women in every way possible. And we should raise young women to be on guard because we live in a, in a very dangerous world. We should be wise as serpents and as innocent as, as doves. Verse 23. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the, of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The the beginning of the end of chapter 3 is the beginning of the harvest. And you see all this hope-filled uh, harvest and food. At the end of chapter 2, what do you see? It's now the end of the harvest. And you see kind of this plot thicken. And chapter 3 is really kind of like the, the crux of the entire uh, book. Uh, let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for... Uh, this word tonight. God, we thank you that, that you have shown favor to your people uh, in the gospel of Christ, Father. We thank you for the picture of, of Boaz being a worthy man 
a, a kinsman redeemer. We thank you for Ruth and just her willingness to work hard and to labor and honor uh, the law. We thank you, God, that you are our refuge, that you are our rock, you are our redeemer. God, we pray that we would always seek you and have seek your favor. And as we seek you and the favor that comes from you, that we would extend favor uh, with all our resources, with our food, with our lodging, uh, to the foreigner and to those who are forsaken. God, let us be a kind of people who are overwhelmingly satisfied um, and overwhelmingly satis showing satisfaction towards others in how we care for them, for the, for the glory of your great name. We ask this in Jesus' name.